0: Welcome to episode three of season two of the Bootstrapped Experience podcast. Jack, how are you going? Great, man. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Just getting into the new year. Yeah, happy new year. Yeah, same to you. (laughs) It's always a bit of a strange time over Christmas and New Year's. Like this year is much better because I can actually check out from work a little bit more than usual. But, you know, it's always a quiet time for apps and things. So it's a bit nerve wracking at the same time as you're taking time off. The year sort of resets from now.
1: Yeah, my year has actually started out kind of crazy because there's a couple of sponsorships I've talked about before went live like January first. So I've been getting new signups. It's been really cool. But I'm also in that phase, you know, where it's like I have so few customers. Like you get an email that's like, Hey, does your thing do this? Absolutely. And then I stay up till three AM making it do that thing.
0: <laughs> so yeah. But that's the real fun part of creating new products as well, right? It is
1: cool. Yeah. I love like the early adopter people. Like I remember those with the Shopify app. Like it's so cool. Like they're so invested in it and like understanding. They're great people to work with in the beginning.
0: Yeah. And they seem to seek you out almost sometimes, right? Like
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: And I remember it from the beginning of mine as well. There were some people that were just instrumental in pointing it in the right direction and Using a lot of their time to help us out.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's new enough too. Like I remember like a couple years into the Shopify app, it's like I would kind of hear repeated ideas over and over again that like I didn't implement for like a specific reason, you know. And it's like, but now it's like everything's cool. I'm like, oh, this is a great idea, you know? And like it's actually like exciting to get that kind of feedback and like actually really improve Translate CI.
0: Yeah, that sounds like fun. I kind of miss having a new app. <laughs> it's been right. a while since I've had a new product so yeah, I guess you're also a bit freer because you don't have to be so tied to an API in the same way that a Shopify app might be, right?
1: For sure, yeah, I do use some APIs, but what's nice is like I've had like a couple of reliability issues here and there and like it's actually really cool. I can just swap out an API for something else.
0: You're not tied to or you're not married to something in the same way.
1: Yeah. So I've been working like we talked about adding machine translations to translate CI and I've started working on that. And that's really cool. There's like 10 good APIs out there that do this. So it's like really cool. I can kind of swap them, support more languages by supporting different APIs and things like that.
0: Okay. And are their APIs compatible or is it like if say they're going to use the Google translation API, are they just like an adapter in some cases for multiple other APIs or is it a service on its own?
1: Yeah, it's a service on its own, but I actually, a couple months ago, I found there's a guy named Steve King who's been putting out just really great content around Laravel APIs and interacting with APIs and that kind of stuff. So it actually helped me a ton when building Translate CI that I've got this sort of really nice adapter pattern for the APIs. I can swap them out pretty easily and it all just kind of works, yeah.
0: Yeah, all right, I'll check that out because... That's always been something I've wanted to be better at is to make things more pluggable, right? Instead of sort of marrying yourself as like tightly to one particular implementation, right?
1: Yeah, that's how I've always done it before, just completely coupled with whatever I'm using. And now it's not quite that way anymore, which is cool.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you create your own adapter, I guess. Adapter layer. Yeah, okay, nice. And then the sponsorships, it's... How many new ones did you get out there?
1: There's three right now. So there's a blog, a newsletter, and a podcast. And yeah, all going pretty well. Like we talked about before, like I can't really track the podcast, but I have so little traffic. I'm like, cool, anything not coming from the newsletter and the blog is probably the podcast.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I've never done sort of sponsorships and so maybe it's something I should look into more. But what kind of price range without giving away the exact numbers that you pay? Is it like thousands of dollars or is it hundreds of dollars or
1: No, it's yeah, it's in the hundreds of dollars range. They're not gigantic. I'm not sponsoring, you know, the Tim Ferriss podcast or anything. But that's what's really cool is like I can find these super niche publications or whatever and they're pretty cheap because they don't go to a ton of people, but the people they go to are like super interested in what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I guess is like highly targeted advertising in a sense, right?
1: Yeah. So, like, the sign up rate from them um, is crazy high. From visitors, yeah, it's like around 12% at last look, which is, yeah, that's nuts.
0: Yeah. If you could push that an out and you get 12% clicking through and installing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, not a ton of them are turning into customers just yet, but I'm working on that.
0: But even just the sign up is so cool. Like you're saying, you're still working on some of the other features that people might be interested in, right? So, I think. You keep at it, and as long as you can see some growth in there.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And it's just like whenever I start to be like, ah, I'm not getting enough actual customers from this or whatever, I realize like how much further I am in this than I was at the same time with the Shopify app. Like it's crazy. I feel like it's hitting traction much faster, so that's really cool.
0: Okay, oh, that's nice. Yeah, because I remember my first app is over ten years ago, I guess now, but it felt like it was going to be a long slog, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of my reason that I did well was just that I kept at it. And that's usually enough. People don't put enough time into new projects. They expect them to be overnight success. But I think it's more fun, like you're saying, if you get more people to begin with to keep the motivation up.
1: But yeah, that's a huge thing. I guess part of it, you see all these success stories, you see all the time, like I grew my app to a million ARR and Six months and stuff like that. And sure, that happens, but like for normal mortals like us, like it's going to take a couple of years to get somewhere. And like, that's okay. And some of it really is just waiting too. Like, I don't think my marketing got significantly better, you know, in the first couple of years of the Shopify app. It's just, you just kind of need to build up momentum. And that takes time, no matter what you do, I think, unless you have a ton of money to throw at it or something. Some amazing yeah, exactly,
0: and I think that's maybe what we're seeing more of in the Shopify space. At least is people coming in with a bit of a war chest to start on advertising straight away and and things like that. But I think anyone else just sort of bootstrapping it needs to expect it to take a bit longer.
1: Which I get. That's tough. It's funny. I need to take that advice myself because I repeatedly don't start on SEO because the advice you always see is oh, it takes a year. I'm like a year. Like yeah, <laughs> I can't wait that long. No, no, but. I really need to start it today. It's <laughs> actually one of my big goals for yeah, this year. Just
0: check out the show notes from last episode. I think I put the link in there to uh, what are they call Contentful. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's probably best if you write it yourself, but if you want to get something up there, it makes sense to have somebody else write it for you as you focus on features and stuff.
1: I kind of made like a 30 day marketing plan because I have about 30 days. So I moved to England. So one of my big goals I'm going to try to do is put out a short YouTube video every day. So I recorded like two, put one out and then didn't do anything else with that for a couple of weeks cuz of New Year's and holidays and all that, but I'm back on it, one a day.
0: There you go. I think that's a pretty ambitious target, one a day. But I guess it could just be small stuff, right?
1: Yeah, like I think the second video I did is like 3 minutes long or something like that and it's just sort of a quick bug fix where I show a neat array thing in PHP. Yeah, I think I'll just kind of record my screen as I work and cut out interesting stuff. We'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, send me the link and I'll put it in our show notes. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) But that's cool. Yeah, so you're moving in a month.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that's exciting. There's a lot going on with that, trying to wrangle everything, but we're getting there.
0: There you go. I think it'll be great. It's always nice just with a change of scenery sometimes, right? Oh, I
1: know. So excited. I'll be moving in the crazy time of year, though. It's funny, we moved to Las Vegas in August, so it was 115 degrees when we got here. And I think we'll be getting to England in February when it's about zero degrees.
0: Yeah. So I'm <laughs> the best to, to... Yeah, come yeah. Over. Yeah. But I guess you've got to start somewhere. It can only get better from there. It's funny, we were looking to plan the marketing stuff as well. You sort of started on that. Maybe you want to fill in what your 30-day marketing plan is.
1: Yeah, sure. We've talked about like paid advertising as far as like social media and Google and that kind of stuff, and I kind of generally want to avoid that, but I do want to set up remarketing, because I remember from Shopify that works well. That's so like a quick thing I can do in less than a day and get that going and just kind of set it and forget it. The YouTube stuff, I'm going to see how that goes. And I would like to at least learn more about SEO and get a plan together. So that's a big piece of it. Other than that, like, I'm not totally sure. I'm going to look for more sponsorships because those have been working really well. The very first one I did was Laravel News, which that was like amazing. It drove an insane amount of signups. And the problem when I did it, though, was like, it was like such an MVP product at that point. That sponsorship launched like the first week I went live, which was too soon. <laughs> so it didn't do me as good as it could have. So I think I would like to try them again,
0: maybe in March. Yeah, once you feel like you've polished the product a bit more.
1: Yeah, because the traffic was great, the conversions were great, and then yeah, just the product wasn't quite there
0: yet. Yeah, sure. I guess it could have been a better result. Yeah, I think that's a good starting plan, right? I mean, just get the basics set up and build it from there.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be good. How about you? What are you thinking about for your marketing plans?
0: Yeah, well, we were actually just, my wife and I, talking about this over lunch today. We've got our sort of yearly planning meeting next Friday to sort of set goals and you know, sort of plan out, okay, what is it we want to really get done this year? And then, yeah, we sort of started a bit on finding more marketing activities that we could add to what we're already doing. And there, yeah, it was very similar to your list, but starting, got some remarketing going on Google display ads, but we haven't done anything around Facebook and Instagram or anything there. So I definitely want to get Shopify, allow you put the Facebook pixel into the app store listing now, or have for a long time, I think. I just haven't used it. So I think that's one of the things we really want to get onto. We also want to do an explainer video or start on the sort of script writing for explainer videos. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but I wasn't super happy with some of the ones I did earlier. And that was my fault for not putting more time into the script itself. But just doing them properly this time and not going for the sort of classic explainer animated style, but using more, you know, real humans and actual video footage with sort of graphical overlays and elements and things.
1: You have so much good like social proof for your apps, like big like household names and things like that. Like I see going up on your Twitter and stuff sometimes. Like Even if you could just get something like that into the video, I think it would be awesome.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think using social proof better than we are. And I think, yeah, like you're saying, the videos. They're actually a really good idea just for the hero static image that we have at the moment and putting in like some as-used-by or something like that. Obviously, we have to reach out to people and see if we can. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's going to be interesting to do than doing the explainer videos. Then what else did we talk about? We talked about working more on our email flows and just sort of implementing some of the tougher ones that require a bit more integration with the apps or like our discounting system or stuff like that. Yeah, so that's sort of our main ones. We've already got SEO well on the way, working on a new website, which we're quite far on actually. So it's really just finishing that up. Yeah, so I think it's going to be good. And we've been focusing on the App Store listing quite a bit. I've got set up a recurring two-week to-do where we sort of go over the changes we did last time and then, okay, was it positive result, negative result? What should our next experiment be? And just did those this week as well.
1: With SEO, are you trying to drive people to your app listing or to your Forsberg 2 homepage?
0: Yeah, so we're driving them from the article to the App Store listing. And I think that's partly because our current website doesn't do a good enough job of presenting the apps themselves. So it's like a secondary thing. But the new website should have a lot more information and very similar to the Shopify App Store listing in the content and things like that. So Whereas the current ones are very text-heavy. Yeah, so we're just trying to make it more a reflection of what you'd find in the App Store if you do find it on our website.
1: I think that makes sense. I always kind of struggled with that because, you know, Shopify has some crazy domain authority. My website had a negative 15 or something like that. I could never beat anything, really. So I always drove people directly to my app listing, but that's probably not the smart long-term play, I guess.
0: I guess now with Shopify released a new design on the 15th, and I guess it happened, I think the 15th was when we recorded last. So we were sort of going over it live (laughs) for our first look. And... I like the new layout. I think visually it works really well and the information presented and so forth. But the category design in the App Store now, is that's a different topic, I guess, but I'm not a big fan and I think it'll drive traffic to the top three to six apps in every category and everyone else will see see troubles. But the thing that I really don't like is that now they've put this other apps you might like on our landing page and they're not from the same subcategory even. So they are just sort of the top of one of your categories. So say you took marketing category, they'll just put the top three or six apps from the marketing category there, even though your app is generally under a subcategory, right? It would make sense to show apps from the same subcategory that you came from. Or Anyway, I don't like the idea of driving traffic, paid traffic especially, to other people's listings. So I think we'll be pushing more our own listing on our own website.
1: I saw a post from... I think the Shopify product manager today who was in charge of the design, it was pretty interesting. And he sort of gave an explanation specifically why they put the competitive apps at the bottom of the page. So I get the thinking. Basically, his reasoning was they noticed through their analytics that people were sort of getting lost at the bottom of the page. They didn't have a place to go. Like when you scroll all the way down to the bottom of a listing. But I feel like they probably could have fixed that and made the developers happier by just putting an install link at the bottom.
0: Exactly, Some sort of call to action. Call yeah. to action. Yeah. Where did you see that post? Is that on Slack or?
1: It was on Twitter. It was a little video post.
0: Okay. Ah, I'll have to try and track that down from the Shopify developer team. Or yeah. Okay. I'll find it and put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, it was super interesting. It was just a quick like two, three-minute video where they kind of talked through the changes and what they were thinking. And it's super interesting. I will say, like I looked at the comments and the comments overall were positive.
0: Okay. Yeah. We all sort of throw our arms up with change, right? Because it's like rocking the boat and you'd like things to stay, how would you say, predictable in a sense. And especially because it was launched at the time when seasonality sort of kicks in for the App Store. End of December and early January is always like pretty flat in the app store, at least for my apps. And and I think because I have these one-time fee apps, I have a pretty good gauge on the amount of traffic coming into the app store because they see a higher traffic than other apps, I think, because they're one-time payments. Yeah, so they've always been like a good canary for me as far as like, okay, how much traffic are we seeing in the app store at the moment? Yeah, and so the redesign changes sort of come out at the same time as we're seeing this and installs kind of go flat during this time and you don't know, and they're going, you know, they go slightly backwards or whatever. So, it's impossible to say whether it's positive, negative, or anything, right? Today's like, at least for us, it's like the first week back after New Year's and everything. And I'm already starting to see some pickup in the installs. At least the graph is going up again, which is nice. So, it'll be really interesting to sort of take or wait a month or two and then take, say, February and hold it up against a different month of similar timing. Yeah, so as much as I sound like a grumpy old man sometimes, but I'm not super negative about these changes yet <laughs> because I just want to see more data.
1: I think it's tough too because you kind of have misaligned incentives like an indie developer just starting out versus Shopify. Like Shopify wants to give their merchants the absolute best experience and I know because I released one and I'm sure you have too. Like Those new apps that you want exposure for, can be buggy or not the best merchant experience. And it's like, how do you align that with what Shopify wants, I guess, is the question. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what drives Shopify always, right? Is what's best for the merchant and not always what's best for the app developer. And I think that's fine. That's how it should be. But some of the design decisions that have been made make it a lot harder for newer apps or you know, anything but the top six to sort of be surfaced at all. And I think that'll be interesting to see over time how that affects it. I've got one app that's in the top three or two apps, but the other two are not. So it'll be quite interesting to see what the difference is in organic in-source from the Shopify app store for them. All this being said, I'd say that like people randomly finding you from a category is generally less than people searching and finding your product. And you know the redesign hasn't been bad for search, I don't think. They've removed the tagline, at least from my current app store listing, so, if you do a search, you, you see the app name and their rating and what categories they're in, but you don't see the tagline. So, the explanation of what the app does is no longer showing for me. But uh, I'm not sure if that's an A B test or something else.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I feel like I remember someone saying that and I looked it up and I saw the tagline. So, I think it might be an A B test.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'll have to incognito it or something, right? <laughs> yeah. See if I can get the current version. So, yeah, App Store redesign, been focusing a lot on that and sort of. I was gung- ho on changing keywords and things to try and rank better for specific keywords, and I was actually finding that that was less effective than I was hoping it was going to be, so I've changed some of it back to be more like less keywordy, more like sales text or sales copy, and I think that's helped as well. So
1: One thing I noticed was I could be wrong about this, but my theory at least was what I noticed was when my top couple of reviews, like ones that would appear on the first page, included keywords, which unfortunately you can't control, but like good keywords, it would significantly improve my ranking while they were on the first page. And then when they dropped back, it would go back to wherever it was.
0: Yeah. I think being on the first page is like key, right? You gotta be there.
1: I think they're ranking reviews really high for search keywords.
0: Yeah. And I think the categories maybe slightly less so, right? But definitely on on reviews and you know, we're using Sassy to sort of keep track of our category. And you can always see plus a certain amount for every review you get, you move up in the leaderboard sort of thing. Wow, I love that Sassy thing. It's cool. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. But I find it like it's excellent for your category listings. And then the App Store Analytics is great for your search listings using the app listing editor there has been really good. so. Yeah, so that's marketing for us. But obviously, we'll sort of hash it out more next week. We'll take off for the day and go out and have lunch and things. And sort of talk our goals through. Are you a goal setter?
1: Not really. I've always tried and do that beginning of the year. Here's everything i going to do this year. But what I've found for me, I don't know if it's the smart thing to do, is like I just kind of show up and work on whatever seems to be the most important that day and I guess make that little bit of progress. Maybe I'd go faster if I had <laughs>
0: a bigger plan, but I think that's how I've done it for some times. But- I guess I've always had like an overarching goal, but it's never always been sort of measurable. Like, am I on track to hit this or am I just making up a number because I know I'm going to hit that? So, yeah, I'm looking at this smart sort of way of SMART. It's like an acronym for, yeah. So, working out the goal setting that way. Yeah. Cause it has to be measurable. And, and I want to make goals small enough that you can see progress. So it's not like an end of your goal.
1: If I have any goals, it's kind of the first quarter goal is to get the hundred installs I need on GitHub to get into their app store. That would be my absolute biggest goal, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I guess you need to break that down is how am I going to do that? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's the fun part though, right? Because you can start checking them off as you keep moving.
1: Yeah, so we'll get there. And that's actually, that's kind of, you know, even, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but you know, the signups I get, most people still do connect like a Git repo or whatever and kind of take a look around. So like, that's kind of nice because even if they don't become customers, they still contribute to that install count that I okay, need, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Now, I guess make that process as pain-free as possible, right?
1: Yeah, you know what surprised me? is Because I didn't know people used this. I never have, but it's funny. I launched without Bitbucket support because I'm like, no one, I don't think anyone actually uses it. Everyone uses Bitbucket, it turns out. Oh, wow. Like by far the most popular Git <laughs> repository for my customers.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you just need to add an integration for that or is that? Yeah, oh, I already did. You already did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was like, I had to do
1: that like week one because I was getting so many like, oh, you don't do Bitbucket. guess we're not going to... Hey you! Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess
0: uh, what's the other one? GitLab or something, right?
1: Yeah, I actually use GitLab. I like GitLab.
0: Okay, I haven't used it, so
1: I'm the only person that I think uses it, at least that's signed up for Translate CI, which is kind of funny.
0: Oh wow! Uh, okay, yeah. but for yeah, me that like. was
1: like oh number one integration GitLab. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I want this myself. I guess I've always just sort of you know GitHub's always been on my radar. Maybe it's because they're the loudest, but they're also like a Ruby shop, so I've always sort of followed along with them.
1: That's cool. Yeah, it's actually been really cool. I don't know why it took me so long to do, but now that Translate CI is hooked up to Translate CI, I get to kind of use it several times a week, just pushing new code and getting those translations done and stuff like that. And that's definitely helped me find like, some friction points and bugs or whatever. That's been really good.
0: Oh, Nice. Yeah, and I guess to find the UI flow that works for you, right? Like what parts do I find? Hey, this should just happen when I do this or...
1: Yeah, I have such a high pain tolerance, I've learned. Like, it's ridiculous. I know they always say developers should have like a really small pain tolerance, but I'm like, I don't know, for some reason, I'll spend 10 minutes clicking stuff and do that three times a day and not even realize like for weeks that like, oh, this is horrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're very different in that regard, I I think I have generally a pretty low pain tolerance.
1: Right. That's good. I think that's what you're supposed to have. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but but I think it causes more frustration in your everyday life if you have a lower pain tolerance, right? Especially if you need to go onto like, you know, especially with COVID and everything else, all these government websites at least in Denmark to book tests and all that type of stuff. But.
1: Oh my god, you should have seen the immigration stuff I had to do. Like, it was just constant paperwork and government websites and like time frames that didn't line up like you have to do this before you do this but you can't do this before the other thing it was i mean it was a year of that i'm so glad to be done <laughs> yeah
0: that's amazing i guess that maybe part of their selection process is hey he made it this far right <laughs> or right. they made it this far <laughs> they Could must be, really yeah. want to come yeah
1: it's funny too cuz it was like it's a bunch of different agencies like in different countries too like USA and England so it's like you're just on all these different government websites that don't really communicate with each other even though they're supposed to and that's
0: wild. And they're running Cobalt or something in the back end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will yeah.
1: say, England was pretty advanced. It was funny seeing like SaaS products I know used in their application process. I was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's funny because I actually found.gov.uk. They have a view component library using the Rails view components. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I guess somebody, I'm not sure if they use it. I'm sure they don't use it all over the place, but at least somebody decided to build a design system for the .gov.uk, .co.uk, I guess it's called. They
1: do a lot to like attract tech people. So I guess maybe they've invested in that pretty heavily. It's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah, so goal setting is our next task. And then other than that, I think I'm just getting back into the flow of things. Uh, <laughs> it always takes me a little while after news to sort of go, okay, yeah, let's get uh, winding up for the year. Uh,
1: well, so I wanted to ask you, AppKit is you know kind of pretty far along, right? Do you think you're going to start using it for new apps or anything like that this year? Or just try to integrate it into the existing ones?
0: Yeah, I think that's, we started out building a new app while we were building AppKit. And I think that was a good way to sort of get it up and running and everything. But now I can also feel that, hey, I'd like to have my existing products using AppKit as well, just to sort of give them a fresh up, I guess. But also to bring down more technical debt. Been doing this for ten years. It's time to sort of pay off some of that, but at the same time, and the, a big part of that reason is they already have like a few pieces that are not yet in AppKit. So, like I have a referral program, so I'd like to build that in AppKit as well. And by moving my existing product over, it sort of forces me to build all the remaining parts of AppKit, where we already have like a good example of how the other side of the API works, or you know, this is how we do it right now. Let's put it into AppKit. So then once I build a new app, then it's already got all this stuff. And you know, AppKit's kind of ready to build an app. It's at least very, very close now. But it's missing all the parts to make it a Forsberg 2 App Kit, I guess you could say.
1: Just like the branding, that kind of stuff?
0: No, more like all the other parts. Like I have a service for our support people so that they can look up a user across all the apps. So they log into like one tool where they can punch in a myshopify.com URL. And then they can see, okay, yeah, this person's using these three apps. And then they can go in and manage certain things for that particular user in the apps. It just calls an API in each of the apps to say, right, hey, do you have this particular shop? And then it, you know, so it makes four calls and gets information back and then sort of collates that up and says, yep, they're using these three. And so, yeah, so I need to add that to AppKit. And then there's the referral program that needs to be added to AppKit, which is something we've built ourselves, or I've built as well. The other small parts, anyway, which is like, Bringing them into my suite of products that we run and use to run our app makes sense.
1: Have you considered? I swear, not a week goes by where I don't see a big thing about app developers wanting, like, a plug-and-play referral program. Have you ever considered releasing something like that?
0: Yeah, I have. But part of the reason I haven't done it is because it's like a competitive advantage, and no one else. Has them <laughs> like very few do. So I don't want to make that too easy for other people. And the other one is that I've just sort of built it. So I don't want to have like Stripe have income coming from there as well as my Shopify side. It just sort of complicates everything a bit more. If I was using Stripe for all my building, it would make it easier. But and it'd have to have a pretty high price point for me to want to do it.
1: I kind of considered at one point, did a little research for a day or two and it against it. But I think. That it's something that could make a good SaaS business for someone that's interested in dealing with sort of the intricacies of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, as wrong as it sounds, it's like I don't think it could become big enough for it to be worth the time investment that I have to put into it.
1: No, that makes sense because there's what like five thousand Shopify developers or something like that. You yeah, know, yeah, and you get a couple hundred percent of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. right.
0: So even if you charge them a hundred bucks a month for it, that's an okay business, but compared to if I put in time into my existing apps or to improve those, that's a totally different business for me, at least. So I think it's a great opportunity for somebody out there. I don't want to do it. (laughs) But I'm actually pretty proud of how that turned out and the way that it generates a file that you just load into the PayPal mass payments. Yeah, so it sort of collates up everything for the last month and then gives you a CSV, you just pull it over and it's got all the email addresses and the amounts and everything. You confirm the amount and then bang, it's done. I had a
1: very basic referral system I built and it was kind of partially automated and partially manual. But I got it down and to it took me about 20 minutes a month to deal with and it wasn't too bad. But if you're willing to like sit there and deal with some spreadsheets, it's not too difficult to rig something up that'll work.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think also the amount of app developers that it would generate enough for them to make it worth like paying $100 a month for, that has to become quite a sizable thing. So it's generally the larger app developers that would get a good benefit from it. They probably have a capacity to build something for their products as well. The one thing that it does really well is that it handles multiple apps. And that's what I found really difficult when looking at existing referral solutions is that they hook up a single domain. So it's like one product or whatever, or at least one site. And I've got different domains for each of my products. So just cooking them and all that type of stuff, I couldn't find anything that would do it out of the box.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. So if a referrer sends someone to one app's website, but they sign up for a different app, you give them credit for the second app?
0: No, but it was more like, if I want the cooking to happen on this domain, right? So you say, right, it's for orderlyprint.com. If they visit there using this link, we'll cookie them, and then when they install, we'll attribute it to them. But if I also want to set up another one that ran on OrderPrinterTemplates.com then most of the referral programs will be like, oh, no, but you only have one domain, right? That you should be sending people to.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. makes Yeah.
0: So their widget was designed around a single domain. Anyway, that was at that time. And the whole payout part and everything else. But yeah. I mean, we're paying out thousands of dollars now every month. So it's quite good. That's awesome. Yeah. It's grown. It's grown slowly.
1: Yeah, the agencies are, I mean, I think they're a great marketing tool for apps. And I don't know if I don't know. Maybe they get bombarded constantly, but like I just kind of like pretty early on for me, I just went through the list and like cold emailed a lot of them and said, "Hey, do you want to check this out?" And got enough that it made it worth it.
0: Yeah, right. I think that's a good tactic, especially if you're doing it like on a personal level, where you're writing it to them and saying, "Hey, you know, this would be interesting for you guys," and and not just spamming something out, right? Right,
1: right. funny, so I even just saw today, like every once in a while, I think about cold email, and very rarely. Decide it's a good idea. But like, I just saw this thing today. It's like, if you're not following up seven times, you're leaving money on the table. Like, oh, never do that. One email, I'm done. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's it. Very rarely does a cold email ever work on me. As soon as I start reading it, it's like delete. I'm hovering over the delete button before I even start on the email. So
1: Same, and that's why I end up opting out of sending them. Because I think like Shopify app developers are like a really good audience for Translate CI. And it's like, well, I could just email them, but then I'm like, ah, I got like probably 10 cold emails a day like that. And they were two sentences long, and I didn't read past the first three words most of the time and had a negative, like if I came across that product later, I probably would have, ah, oh, it's that jerk that sent me the email. You know? Yeah,
0: exactly, that's how I look at it as well. It's, hey, you're the spammer. <laughs> yeah. but I guess somebody's listening to this podcast saying you guys are idiots
1: maybe <laughs> yeah,
0: it works really well and you should do it each to their own it's just not the way I want to do it
1: yeah I mean I would love to it'd be great to like reach out to every shop developer manually and say hey check this out I think it could be good for you but like, I can't figure out a way to do that that makes sense and doesn't come off bad
0: but maybe it just needs to be the right copy I'm sure in six months we'll be sitting here talking about how you're ready to go. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we'll see. Yeah. Interesting. That's nice. Yeah. Anything else you feel like sharing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> for me, I'm all about packing for the next month.
0: Yeah. So that's all I got going on. <laughs> that in the YouTube videos. I'm gonna do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Make sure to send me the link and I'll pop it in and everyone should go listen or go watch them. Awesome. Cool, man. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you later. Cheers.